0: We all know that I love making and recording my own podcast. Loudmouth is my heart and soul. But what's even more fun is that it's easy to do. And guess what? You can do one too. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. You can make money from it with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast right there in one place for free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Loudmouth Podcast. I'm your host, the one and only. Well, I messed that up. Okay, welcome back to Loudmouth Podcast, the show about everything and nothing all at once. I'm your host, the one and only host of Loudmouth with the small lips, Loudmouth Madison Habler. Wow, really need to write cue cards for myself, apparently, because I just messed that all up. Welcome back, you guys. Happy Wednesday. I hope that you all are safe and sound. Emphasis on the safe. With COVID and everything. I, you know, I almost didn't make an episode today just because I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I kind of procrastinated on this episode, but I really wanted to talk about some recent events that have occurred and kind of get into some explanations of them because everything that's going on can kind of be hard to understand and you know me I love using my political science degree and my communications degree together to help you guys understand some things that are going on and also to help me better understand them because A lot of the times when I read articles, I truly don't get a lot of what's going on. I have to do a lot of cross-referencing and defining and things like that. So that's why I like to put these episodes out for you guys that kind of talk through, you know, the different things going on. Especially with Ahmad Arbery's verdict coming out today. Well, not his, his murderer's verdict coming out today as guilty, which is, I mean, obviously Seems like we shouldn't really have to celebrate that because it was a very obvious case, but in this day and age, we do. And especially because of the Kyle Rittenhouse case that came out earlier, we have to be cautious about what we celebrate because we never know what is going to happen in the justice system. So what I'm going to talk to you guys today is what happened during the Kyle Rittenhouse case, kind of go through what the different counts were against him, and basically how he was declared not guilty for all of the accounts. So I want to provide a trigger warning now. I am going to be explaining some of the videos that they showed in court. Um, I am going to be talking about violence. I'm going to be talking about, I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse on his own could be a trigger warning as well. So please, if you do not feel like you can listen to this or whatever it is, please feel free to exit out. I want you guys to get information, but please don't trim Traumatize yourself or put yourself in a place that you're going to feel uncomfortable or anything like that. So, here's your trigger warning now. Going to talk about violence, guns, shootings, things like that. So, let's get into it. After 27 hours of deliberation over the course of four days, a jury declared Kyle Rittenhouse not guilty on the five charges that he faced after fatally, after fatally shooting two people and wounding a third during the night of unrest in Kenosha, Wisconsin in 2020. In August of 2020, Kyle Rittenhouse traveled from his home in Antock, Illinois, to protect private property and help as a medic, is what he claims. On August 25th, he came to the scene of unrest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Protesters had gathered there to speak out against the police shooting of Jacob Blake, a black man who was left paralyzed after being shot by a police officer. At 17 17 years old then, he arrived on the scene with an AR-15 and fatally shot Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, and Gage Grosskreutz. Just the other day, the jury announced that Rittenhouse was not guilty on all charges. But how is the big question? And that's what we're going to talk about here in this episode. So let's first learn what these charges were against Rittenhouse in this case. So count one was first degree reckless homicide and use of a dangerous weapon. This felony was connected to the death of Joseph Rosenbaum, who was the first man that Rittenhouse shot. Bystander video shows Rosenbaum chasing Rittenhouse through a parking lot and throwing a plastic bag at him. Rittenhouse then flees behind a car and Rosenbaum follows. Video introduced at a trial shows Rittenhouse wheeling around and firing as Rosenbaum chased him. Richie McGinnis, who was a reporter that was trailing Rittenhouse, testified that Rosenbaum lunged for Rittenhouse's gun. Now, I just want to make this clear that Richie McGinnis was a reporter for a conservative-based news. Uh, I think it was a newspaper. I'm not totally sure. But I know it was conservative-based. So. I say this because he does become a witness in the case at this point, And he was following around Rittenhouse and his friends because they had showed up with assault rifles and I mean, basically looking like they were police or trying to be a hero in that case. And so Richie McGinnis was following him around, recording him for their conservative publication. Reckless homicide in this case differs from intentional homicide in that prosecutors weren't alleging that Rittenhouse had intended to murder Rosenbaum. Instead, they were alleging that Rittenhouse caused Rosenbaum's death in circumstances to showing an utter disregard for human life. This charge was punish- punishable up to 60 years in pr- prison, and the dangerous weapon modifier carried an additional five years to it, which is a theme throughout all of these accounts. So that was the first count related to Rosenbaum's shooting. The second count, which was first-degree, recklessly, recklessly endangering safety and use of a dangerous weapon this charge was connected to the rosenbaum shooting as well richie mcginnis the reporter was trailing rittenhouse at the protest and he told investigators that he was in the line of fire when rittenhouse shot at rosenbaum so rittenhouse was endangering the safety of others hence this case or hence this charge. So the reporter was in the line of fire and if Rittenhouse would have accidentally shot the reporter then it would be endangering safety of everyone not just protesters but news media you know people helping out the cause or whatever it was. This charge would have been punishable by 12 and a half years in prison and the weapons modifier carried an additional five years to it. The reason why this charge is different but still connected to the Rosenbaum shooting was because the reporter was in the line of fire when Rittenhouse shot Rosenbaum. But obviously, Rittenhouse wasn't, I mean, maybe not obviously, but Rittenhouse wasn't intending to shoot McGinnis. He was intending to shoot Rosenbaum. So this just kind of puts on that charge of, you know, endangering the safety of the people around you. Count three was first-degree recklessly endangering safety and use of a weapon. So this one shows that it was like another um, person in the crowd. So there was a video that showed an unknown man leaping at Rittenhouse and trying to kick him seconds before Anthony Huber moves his skateboard towards him. Rittenhouse appears to fire two rounds at the man, but apparently misses as the man runs away. So this is just another charge against him endangering safety from another perspective so not from the reporter of McGinnis but another bystander in the crowd this charge again would have been punishable up to 12 and a half years in prison and the weapon weapons modifier again would have added up to five more years count four was first degree intentional homicide and use of a dangerous weapon this charge was connected to Anthony Huber's death, which is the second person that Rittenhouse fatally shot. The reason this one is intentional homicide, meaning that a person killed someone and meant to do it, is because video shows Rittenhouse running down the street after shooting Rosenbaum when he falls to the street. Who Huber leaps at him and swings a skateboard at his head and neck and tries to grab Rittenhouse's gun before Rittenhouse fires. The criminal complaint alleged Rittenhouse aimed the weapon at Huber to shoot. So, meaning that Rittenhouse intentionally meant to shoot and kill Huber. A a conviction of this would have meant a mandatory life sentence, and the weapon modifier would have added up to five years. The jury was also given the option of sev- second degree intentional homicide and first degree reckless homicide in Anthony Huber's death. Second, second degree intentional homicide would have been punishable up to 60 years in prison. And the difference between this added like layer onto it, like the jury could have chosen to get him for second degree intentional homicide over first degree, Because first-degree intentional means that it was a premeditated and intentional murder. Second-degree is a step down because it doesn't mean that he premeditated it, but it means that there was still an intent to harm or kill. So, meaning, Rittenhouse didn't come in choosing who he was going to shoot and premeditating and thinking about killing these victims, But it kind of happened in the line of events, and it was still an intentional murder because he was trying to kill these people that were, you know, a part of the protest. The first-degree reckless homicide charge that was sought in Huber's death matched the charge just like in Rosenbaum's death, so in the first count. It would have required jurors to decide that Rittenhouse caused Huber's death with an utter disregard for human life. And would have been punishable up to 60 years in prison. So on count four, the jury had a couple of different options to take. So they could have decided that first degree intentional homicide wasn't fit for this case because he, Rittenhouse didn't come in choosing who he was already, you know, premeditating on who he was going to hurt. Instead, the intention just was there as soon as he was at the event and, you know, everything was going on. Count five is attempted first-degree intentional homicide and use of a dangerous weapon. This was the charge for Rittenhouse shooting Gage Grosskruitz in the arm seconds after he shot Huber and as Grosskruitz came toward him holding a pistol. Grosskruitz survived, and video shows Rittenhouse pointing his gun at Grosskruitz and firing a single round. That charge carried a maximum sentence of 60 years, the weapons modifier adding an additional 5 years. The jury was also given, given an option of considering second degree attempted intentional homicide and first degree reckless endangerment charges, which is pretty much identical to the last count modifier, but this was this one is attempted because Grosskreutz was just injured and not fatally shot. The possible punishment for an attempted second-degree intentional homicide is 30 years. Attempted first-degree reckless endangerment is punishable by up to 12 and a half years. Now, the sixth count is a possession of dangerous weapon by a person under 18. But the judge dim- dismissed this charge on the Monday of the case. Rittenhouse was armed with an AR-style semi-automatic rifle, and he was only a 17-year-old on the night of the shootings. Wisconsin law prohibits minors from possessing firearms except for hunting or when supervised by an adult in target practice or instruction in the proper use of a dangerous weapon. Rittenhouse's attorney argued that another subsection of the law regarding short-barreled rifles provided grounds for dismissing the charge prosecutors then argued that the defense was misreading the statute and judge schroeder had earlier twice declined the dismiss of the charge but the judge had also said that the statute was confusing and i did read it and it is very confusing it is this law that states that anyone under um 18 isn't allowed to hold you know a dangerous weapon but unless under these circumstances and those circumstances go to another statute of the law, which doesn't say anything about age and basically says like, as long as you have a barrel under, like, I think I don't know how many inches it was. I'm not totally sure, but it was under a certain amount of inches. Then it was okay. And underneath those like super, super stingy and small claims, I can see how this one got dismissed. I mean, in the bigger case of court of law, I think that that law should be changed just in general. But it does make sense in these circumstances how they got away with it because of the barrel size and because of the confusing nature of these statutes. Hence, Judge Bruce Schroeder dismissing the charge and it never actually really being argued in court. Count seven was failure to comply with an emergency order from state or local government. So Rittenhouse was charged with being out on the streets after 8 p.m., which was the curfew imposed by the city at the time and was a minor offense that carries a fine up to $200. The judge dismissed this charge during the trial, saying prosecution didn't offer enough evidence to pursue it which is why that the charges are only technically considered five, because a lot of them got dismissed. So now that we got through all the charges, which are confusing on their own, trying to understand everything, begs the question of how was he able to get off all of the charges? Well, the simple, simple answer is that the defendants claimed a case of self-defense and prosecution Couldn't. I don't want to say couldn't deny it because they could, but it was it was a very quote unquote strong case for self defense for Kyle Rittenhouse and his defensive team. Prosecutors said that Rittenhouse had put himself in danger through a series of reckless choices. He came to Kenosha during a period of violent and destructive riots. He armed himself with an AR-15 style rifle. He stayed there past curfew and after being separated from his group. And they emphasized that he was the only person there to shoot with someone. And I'm sure that you guys have all seen the picture of him walking along the streets with this rifle, with a friend who also had a rifle and bulletproof vest on, I'm pretty sure. And so that's a pretty iconic picture for this case, especially now after seeing how these charges actually played out. But the law of self-defense in Wisconsin, Wisconsin allows someone to use deadly force if they reasonably believe that they are in imminent danger of death or great bodily harm. For Rosenbaum's death, the defense used the face that Rosenbaum had reached for Rittenhouse's gun as reasonable evidence to shoot. Rittenhouse shot four times within a second, killing him. Mr. Rosenbaum was chasing me. I pointed my gun at at him, and that did not deter him. He could have ran away instead of trying to take my gun from me, but he kept chasing me. It didn't stop him, Rittenhouse said in the testimony last week. The defense had a very disciplined message throughout the entire trial, said Stephen Wright, a law professor at the University of Wisconsin. They consistently emphasized Rittenhouse's stated intentions that night Acting as a medic and providing pr- protecting private property and the threats to his safety that message was clearest when Rittenhouse himself testified. a turn on the stand that several es- experts have commented on and said were very affected for the defense. He was very, very well prepped. He did not come off as smug or indigent, said Charles Coleman, Jr., a civil rights lawyer and former prosecutor who said that Rittenhouse came off like a quote unquote regular teenager. He goes on to say that that needed to be something that the jury was reminded of to humanize him. And I'm sure you guys have all seen the videos of him crying, weeping on the stand, talking about how he was scared, how he was terrified. And although I hate to say it, of course that ethos that the jury has gets pulled by those images and by those videos especially because Rittenhouse is 18 year, years old and all these other people that were involved in the case are a lot older. And so he, they made sure to double down on that self-defense case and say, you know, he was in danger, he was worried, he just shot at self-defense. In Wisconsin, once a defendant has made a self-defense claim, prosecutors must then disprove it beyond a reasonable doubt. The prosecution's case depended on video evidence that was dark and blurry. One key video was shot from far away, and in others, the action was at times obstructed, making it difficult to draw definitive conclusions. Prosecutors attempted to convince jurors that Rittenhouse had provoked the encounter with Rosenbaum, which would have undercut his self-defense claim but the interaction they described as Rittenhouse pointing his rifle at other people before the chase was captured only by a single drone video filmed from over a block away in which Rittenhouse and Rosenbaum are tiny and distant. So, although there is probably good evidence that Rittenhouse, I mean, not even probably, I'm sure there is good evidence that Rittenhouse was walking around with this gun causing fear inciting fear in people, but the defense, or the prosecution didn't have any of these good videos, these good quality videos. And the worst thing about our justice system and about the legal system is that this quote unquote beyond a reasonable doubt, what is a reasonable doubt? What, What qualifies that? And how do you make that a quantitative statistic or a quantitative data point? for prosecutions and defenses to use and the thing is that there isn't there isn't a quantitative way of doing this beyond a reasonable doubt is usually up to the judge that is presiding what is a reasonable doubt. Gross Kruitz who was the prosecutor's star witness as the only person who survived being shot by Rittenhouse gave testimony that underscored the challenge facing prosecutors. He ran after Rittenhouse after the first shooting and was approaching him, Glock pistol in hand, as Rittenhouse shot Anthony Huber. Groskowitz testified that he believed Huber was trying to harm Rittenhouse. For a moment, Groskowitz paused and raised his hands in the air, gun held limply in his right hand. But then he saw Rittenhouse adjusting his weapon, he testified, so he brought his arms back down and moved towards Rittenhouse. In doing so, he pointed his weapon at Rittenhouse, he admitted during cross examination. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him with your gun, now your hands down pointed at him that he fired, right? One of the defense attorneys said. Correct, he replied. So the idea of self defense absolutely took over this case and allowed Rittenhouse to walk scot free because of. You know, witnesses being cross-examined and explaining different ideas, the ethos, the humanization of Rittenhouse in the eyes of the juror, the judge dismissing several counts that could have been used against Rittenhouse, and just the prosecution's evidence that wasn't super great and the defense's claim that self-defense was good enough for them. Since the case ended, Rittenhouse took a Fox interview with Tucker Carlson and claimed that he, quote unquote, isn't a white supremacist and he supports Black Lives Matter and peaceful protesting. He also went on to take a picture with Trump, smiling and thumbsing up. A great look for a BLM supporter for sure. Now, listening to this, it probably makes you mad, as it rightfully should, because There's no way that a 17-year-old should be walking around with an AR-15 in hand whatsoever and going to protest to use that gun. But unfortunately, as with the case of most of our justice system, this is just the way the fucking cookie crumples. And I hate saying it like that because I know that this is, you know, terrible and awful and it shouldn't be allowed to happen in our country but it sucks that I can sit here and read all this. And I, I don't even want to say understand where the jurors are coming from because I don't really get it. I don't see how you could necessarily look at this and be okay with it. But from, I guess, a legal perspective, I can see how they the, how the defendants met all the marks that needed to get him to be not guilty. But it just absolutely sucks. And my heart goes out to the victim's families and to the people just watching this and, you know, feeling this ping of, like, our justice system is just not going to work the way, not going to work in our favor. And it's going to find loopholes and it's going to work and it's going to happen. And there are going to be statutes that are unclear and not, you know, are, are all objective and not subjective so how do we even measure these things how do we even measure if a defense's self-defense claim is good enough how do we measure if the prosecution's is meeting the beyond reasonable doubt mark and that's what becomes so confusing and it doesn't help when you know there are the pictures of the judge and Kyle you know together and when there's pictures of him with Trump and everything like that it's just all seems shady all seems fishy and now we just have to like live with this quote unquote live with this decision that was made um and I feel sorry for the families that didn't get the justice that they deserved and I'm glad that the amid Arbery case came out today and at least it shows that there's some justice but it also just depends on state to state for a lot of these laws and a lot of these things You know, I mean, Wisconsin has some very odd laws surrounding this whole idea, and that's what makes the world of difference. So I just wanted to provide some clarity on the case for you guys, because I know it can be really confusing. I know I was confused as well, but it sucks and it's not great, but we have to understand the system to be able to work through it, to be able to break it. Honestly, you have to understand that the system that you're working up against in these cases. So I'm sorry to (laughs) bring such a heavy-handed episode the day before, you know, the holidays and, you know, a time of love and giving, but this is our world, man, and I want to make sure that you guys stay up to date, you stay educated on it, and you don't feel like this weird sense of gatekeeping of this news because you don't understand all the jargon because Lord knows I don't understand it all. But I can sure try to understand it my best, my ability for you guys to understand what's happening. And it's important to know and keep up to date on these cases, especially ones that involve, you know, Black Lives Matter protests and, you know, black people's lives in general. So that we can see this rhetoric that surrounds them and learn how to break it and learn how to stop it and learn how to fight against it and fight for justice in this country. So, um yeah i will put all my sources down below uh most of them npr and ap news but they will all be linked down below so that you can read them for yourselves if you are interested um i will have my instagram twitter and everything down below you can follow me at loudmouthpod on instagram and at loudmouth underscore pod on twitter give me ideas. If you want any more cases that recently came up explained better, please let me know. I can talk through the Amid Arbery case if you guys want as well. Just let me know. Send me an email at loudmouthpod1 at gmail.com. Follow me. Follow along. Give me a review. Let me know what's up. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. (laughs)